through the storm, He is Lord of all. What a beautiful song. And when you look at your life, because some of you in this room today, I know in a room this size, this many people, some of you are in that storm and you're looking at that storm and that storm is staring you down. How are you dealing with that? How are you coping with that? How are you surviving in that? In fact, right now in, in your life, if you were to look at it, which of these two questions best pertains to you? Because both of them most likely won't fit both of you, but, uh, fit all of you. Uh, you'll either be in this camp or the other camp. The first camp is those who are staring at a circumstance or a situation that is so daunting and overwhelming that it's staring you down and you're losing the battle of who's going to win because fear has gripped you, concern has gripped you, regret, remorse, shame has gripped you, whatever that may be is all over you and all up in you. So that, that could be some of you. And you could have brought it on yourself or it could have been something that's been dealt to you. The second group, and again, I, I would say that none of us will fit in both of these camps because the first camp is like, I don't even know if I'm going to survive today. I don't know if I can survive tomorrow. But the second question is this. How many of you in this room, and don't raise your hands on this because that, that isolates everyone else because of another camp, but how many of y'all are like, I'm thinking five years ahead, man. I've got a five-year plan, a 10-year plan. I think in this far I'll be here in, the, in my career and we'll be this way in our family and we'll have this many kids and this many kids out of the house, whatever the case may be for you. You know, you're, you're counting it all down and you're calculating it all out. You're thinking about that out there. And I've, I've been thinking about these kind of questions a lot lately as I've own, done my own sort of recalibration. Where am I? Where should I be? Where do I want to be? Where, do, where does God want me to be? And as I sort through this, uh, we uh, actually just got back as a, as a pastoral team from a retreat where we spent some time away examining our strengths. Uh, some of y'all, or many of y'all probably know about Strength Finders, a Gallup study of where they study 10 million people and uh, three takes about 3,000 to con- be considered a scientific study. And they have studied 10 million people and their various strengths and responses and categories. And so we've learned uh, the various strengths on our team and areas of, 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 of where we're missing it and where we can grow and where we can thrive in. And one of the things that came through that is the realization that some people, myself included, have to really assess, am I where God's called me to be? Am I on the track that in five years from now, I am heading in the direction that he wants or tomorrow? Because I'm really not guaranteed anything beyond today. I'm not guaranteed anything beyond the breath that I'm breathing in this second. If I was to look ahead, if I was to plan ahead, if I was project ahead, am I on the track that I feel like God wants me on? I feel like God's called me to be here. And so when you look at the strength finders, it's interesting in, in continuing to dive into this, that of the people that they've asked, they ask a number of people this one question. Are you, and this is the question, I, I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. They ask that question out there. Do you agree with it, strongly agree with it, strongly disagree with it? What, what was kind of your answer to that? And I want you to answer that question right now. Well, before we throw that, but okay. Uh, here, do you have the opportunity to do what you do best every day? And think about that. Because if you don't, those who strongly disagreed with that, not a single person buys into it emotionally. You're basically going through the mill. You're just basically going through the motions. You're just basically just doing it. And what will happen, and this is what I don't want for you, me, or anybody else, five years from now, ten years from now, 
at retirement when they give you the cake and the watch and you and the door uh, and all that kind of stuff and uh, and you hope they give you the cake and not a box okay but anyway they, they as you go through that 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 process God forbid that you would have spent 10 15 20 years of your life in regret doing something God never shaped you for doing something that God never intended you to do and thinking through that would 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 leave me with a, a life of regret and again you can get some of the things we take on ourselves some of the things we do ourselves will lead us to regret we've been talking about how to move from regret to restoration because all of us at some point will have seasons and decisions of regret but for some of you you hit a bottom of regret now some Sad to say, they don't know when they hit the bottom and they hit another bottom and then they hit another bottom and they don't ever recalibrate down here at the bottom. And so therefore, they jump from this ship to that ship and they hit another bottom. Or that relationship to this relationship, they hit another bottom. That job to this job, they hit another bottom. And they're never recalibrating at the bottom. We're trying to recalibrate right here. We're trying to, hey, let's stop the bottom diving here. Let's stop this and let's figure out how we can move from regret restoration, how we can move from a life of regret to a life of fulfillment and a life that God wants us to be. So there's been several steps, and this is all based on 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. So be finding it in your Bibles. We'll be there in, in a moment. But the very first thing we talked about is just the, the whole idea of regret and, and the idea of hitting the bottom. But the second thing we talk about is relinquish. So once you hit the bottom, Whatever that bottom looks like, and we're going to put these four up here. The first move you make is relinquish control. Okay, I got myself in this. I chose this career path. I got this bad rel- Relinquish the control. I made that bad choice. Relinquish it. It was your choices that got you there. Don't continue to dig deeper. All right? Stop it. And the very first words he talked about was humble yourself. And it's the whole idea of not humiliation. Sometimes humiliation is us hitting the bottom. But you don't want to stay in humiliation. You want to move out of humiliation into humility. And again, I mentioned last week, I mentioned the week before, that the Bible actually tells us to clothe ourselves in humility. So humility is a good thing. And humility means to relinquish control, to give control over to the Lord. Let Him guide and steer our life. Then we talk about refresh. That's what we did last week. Now, refresh is not a button on your computer. It's not something where you reboot your computer or anything like that. Refresh is so much more than that. It's a deep spiritual conversation with you and God. Because he tells us, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, pray, pray. What's this prayer thing? Prayer is the idea. And there's lots of ways that we can pray. And we, and we talked about that last week. But the way that we're talking about and the way I think God was talking to Solomon about in this vision was the whole idea of confessional prayer. I made a mess. I created a mess. I did this. Bad choices, bad moves, whatever. I am God. I am needing you to cleanse me. I am needing you to make it clean. And we even quoted 1 John 1, 9 last week as the fact that we confess and God cleans. We confess and God scrubs us. We confess and God makes us right, all right? We bring our dirt, God makes us clean again. Now this week, I want to talk about another word, realign. Now, I'm going to say this to you and I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it with grace, but I'm going to dig in with this word. A lot of people are going to get off the bus right now. The first two phrases 
relinquish humility. Okay, I get it. I've, I've been humiliated. I need to be more humble. I can't fix myself. I need help fixing myself. I can't fix this situation. I need God to intervene in this. I can't, I can't heal myself. I need God's healing. We, we, we embrace humility. All right? Some of us. Okay, for, for a short time at least. We embrace the idea of confession and refreshing. The fact that I can get clean again, the fact that I can get that shame off of me, the fact that I can move forward, I love that idea. But whenever it comes to the concept that I might actually have to change, that there might need to be some realignment, that I might actually need to change the focus of my life from being this to being that to being... Uh, uh, work to being more Christ-centered or something like that. Just a, a, a slight change, a, a tweaking. It's so important that we get that down because we're all tracking through this life, okay? We're all tracking through this life, but all of a sudden we might be that person who climbs the ladder and gets to the top of the ladder and finds that the ladder's leaning against the wrong wall. They, they spend their life in the career digging away, digging away, thinking more and more success, more and more accomplishment will make it better. They can't figure out the relationship thing, so they jump from another relationship to another relationship to another relationship, thinking this, this is the one, this is the right one, this is the one God. And it's an issue of themselves. It's not the relationship. It's not another career path. It's not a new home. It's not a new car. It's another, no, it's me relinquishing control. It's me finding that new life in Christ, that new refreshing life, but it's me realigning my life. Let me give you an example of this. So one time I was out in L.A., hit the ground, got in my, my rental car, and I do I always, I do Priceline, I get the cheapest car on, online, and, I, and it's typically really small cars for really big guys, it's not fun, but I'll do it, and, and I get this car, and that's what I signed up for, and I get to the desk, and Evidently, that, that same site, everyone else got their little small cars from, from that same company that, 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 that day because there was no more small cars, which was okay with me because they upgraded me. But they didn't just upgrade me. They upgraded me like two levels. And I, they said, you're like, in, you're like in lot 34 out there. Here's your keys. So have fun. And, uh, and I go out to the, the car, and it is, I'm, my, I'm in Southern California. It's a convertible Ford Mustang. So I'm like, sweet. So tops back, I'm in the car, and I already know exactly where I'm going to go. I'm in Southern California, tops down, wind in, on my thinning hair, and, and, I, and I'm going to go, go for it. And, and it is where every sane person goes when you go to Southern California, the first stop, in and out hamburgers. And so that's where I had to, all right? I had my, I had my, my, my address. I had it all figured out. This was before I had smartphone. Uh, so I was dumb, dumb mic. So I took my GPS, put it up on the dash, plugged in the numbers and, and headed to this destination. It was giving me turn by turn. I wasn't paying attention. Remember I had a convertible, the, the music was loud and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden I find myself the, the most pale faced gringo in the hood of somewhere in LA. And I'm like, okay, something's not right here. And I pull up to the address, and it's not in and out hamburger. And I didn't order a hamburger there either. So it's like I take off, and I get down, down the road, and I read. I had missed north and south, okay? There's a big difference between heading north on this road and heading south on this road. And I give that as an example. is We might have a lot of things 
right about our life. But if God wants you to go north and you're heading south, eventually you're going to arrive at your destination and you're going to find a lot of regret there. And again, what does that look like for you? How do we not live a life of regret? How do we do it well from the beginning? Because we only get one of these gigs called life. How do we do it well from the beginning to the end? I'm going to read about 20 verses to you today. We're going to be all over the Old and New Testament, so just start jotting them down. The first one is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, read it with me. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter. You want to know who started your life, who planned your life, who lived the life, who created the life, who sustains life, the pioneer of it all, Jesus. You want to know the one who's finished it well at the very end of it all, and you really want to follow somebody well, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, we're going to hang in on that whole concept of eyes and face and looking and seeking and fixing. So you just hang on to that phrase because it's going to be throughout all these verses and you're going to see it again and again and again because this is going to be a theme from the beginning to the end of this book. Hebrews is towards the end of this book. And so we're going to see this again and again and again, the concept of fixing, focusing, seeking, looking, not taking your eyes off of, and that's going to be key if we are going to realign our lives. Amos chapter 5, verse 4 in the Old Testament says it like this. Seek me, God speaking, and live. I want that to be a phrase that you put on the mirror that you get in front of every morning and doctor yourself up. Because I want you to see that again and again before you start your day Seek me and live a life without regret. Seek me and you will find life that this world cannot offer. Seek me and live. And we're looking at Second Chronicles, and so hopefully you found that or are going to find that because we're going to look at the verse that, again, we're looking at again and again and again. And he doesn't give us much in the way of background material on each of these four verbs that he tells us to do, this is God speaking to Solomon in the second vision that Solomon has ever experienced. It's recorded in Chronicles. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of the history behind Chronicles and Kings and Samuel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings was written during a time that the people of Israel were in exile, basically showing them We got here on our own. We had a bad king, and then we repented, and then we had a worse king, and then we repented, and then we had a worse king, and we were a worse king. And it just like we just kept going down, 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 down. It says, we got ourselves here. Now, I like 1st and 2nd Chronicles because it's actually written from the post-exilic period, from the post-exile period. And so it's actually written to these, these believers who had gone back to Israel. They've been given their pass out of Babylon. They've been said free to go back to Israel to reestablish a nation and to get it going again. But they got over there and they got started. They started building the temple a little bit. They got the footings poured, if you will. And then they started building their houses and they got sidetracked with life. Life became more important than the things of God. 
And Chronicles is written to take the people of Israel back to and to point out, hey, God has given us a pathway here. Don't forget what God did in the past and let's not miss him in the future. So let's go back and let's relive it. So it's a reliving of the history uh, in Second Chronicles, which is, where, which is where we're at. And he uses this phrase, because we, we read it earlier. He uses this phrase that, that we are to humble ourselves and that we are to, um, to pray and then we are to seek his face. Stop right there. That's the phrase that I spent all Tuesday of this week kicking around in my mind. What? I don't want to miss this because, I mean, this is one time at this. I don't want to miss this, God. What does it mean to seek your face? Because to be honest with you, I've never seen the face of God. I've never had a vision. I've never had God drop down in, in my life like Solomon did and just show up on the scene. Most of the time, God speaks to me through his word, through his spirit, through circumstances, through other godly people in my life. That's how he kind of gets his word across to me. And, but So what's this whole idea of seeking his face? If I can't see God, how can I seek his face? And what here, hang on to this for just a moment because this happens throughout the Old Testament. It doesn't happen a lot in the New Testament, but a little bit, but I, and I'll explain that in a moment. But he uses what's called anthropomorphism. Okay, big word, I know, but basically takes physical qualities of mankind and actually assigns them to God. Now, let me explain that. Because God is transcendent. He's above time and space and limitations and and body parts, above gender and everything. But because we are finite in this little world and we're trying uh, trying to figure things out, so the writers of the Old Testament would write and they would give God body parts. They would talk about the hands of God. They would talk about taste and see that God is good. And even sometimes they refer to God as being a woman. Now, not, God is beyond gender. They talk about God, in chi- about, about God loving us like a mother. At times it refers to God as, as a man. So it, it, God's above all of that. And this time, in Second Chronicles, it says, seek my face. Does God have a face? What does that look like? What does it mean? What's what's God look like? I think God has some manifestations about him for sure. And does he look like us? And is that what it means when he talks about bearing the image of God? I'm not going to get into all those speculations from a theological point of view. But let me say this. It's the idea of seeking one of the most unique parts of who he is. We all have hands and we all have feet and ears and we all have different pieces of the anatomy that make up who we are inside and out. Okay, but this grill that we all carry around, that we doctor up, that we try to take care of, you know, this is unique. And God is telling us in Second Chronicles to seek a very unique part of who he is. We need to understand that. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We have a problem because we get a lot of other things we start seeking. We start multitasking. God's not a multitasker. We can't multitask. That's why we don't text and drive because you can't do two things at once. Studies are coming out all the time now. I'm proving, proving again. Your brain can only focus on one thing at a time. All right? Bonding is another thing that we try to have multiples of bonding sometimes. I'm not saying all of us. Some of us will have multiple bondings. You can really only bond in a physical, emotional, connected kind of way with one other person. God designed it that way. Now, this may shock you, but 
whenever you have this beautiful relationship, I mean, a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, and they come together and they share themselves and they give themselves body, soul, and spirit to each other, there's a chemical in your brain that is dumped. It's called dopamine. It's literally where we get the idea of dope. So whenever you think about loving your, your, your mate, literally dope is being dropped into your brain that you are high, so to speak, on this, on this dopamine. But what happens after you connect with each other, God drops another chemical into the brain called uh, uh, oxytocin. And this oxytocin has a bonding effect. This is why we should not bond with, uh, try to bond with other people because you can't. This is why pornography is so bad for us because your brain is trying to bond with something that's not in front of you, that's not real, that you can't connect with. So again, whether it's multitasking or it's bonding or it's just simple loyalty, we can only be loyal to one, okay? God is narrowing us down here. We can only have one master. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one or love the other. He will be devoted to one or despise the other. We're the ones who try to have multiple masters. We're the ones who try to multitask. What God calls us to. Now, I know this is a lot of background, but listen to this. God is not calling us to seek Him and the world, seek Him and a good job, seek Him and this. It's seeking His face. Seeking Him. Seeking Him first and foremost. Why does He do that? Because He's jealous. He's jealous. Nahum talks about that. Exodus talks about that, that the Lord is jealous in Nahum. The Lord, your God, am a jealous God, it says in Exodus. He only wants a single focused person. You focus only on him. You will love your wife better when you love her through loving Christ first. You will be a better employee when you seek God in your job. You will be a better student whenever you seek God as a student, okay? And so Christ has got to be in that first rightful position in your, in your whole thought processes. So now let's look at 2 Thessalonians, or excuse me, 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Say it with me. We've been memorizing it. I hope you're memorizing it. If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. All right, this is God's prescription here. This is what God told Solomon in a vision. When you get off track, you get into that pit of regret, here's how you get out. Humble yourself, pray, and seek my face. What does it mean to seek the face of God? In one word, pursue. Another word is to run after. I guess there's two words. The whole concept of longing and pursuing and chasing and going after the face of God. What does that mean to be that connected to God, to pursue His face, to seek His face? There are four moves I think it means in pursuing God. Number one, you pursue Him intimately. Do you know Him intimately? Not religiously, not have you joined the faith, have you joined a church, have you been baptized, are you a part of this denomination or that denomination? No, no, no. Religion, see, is based in fear. 
We're not talking about joining a religion. We're talking about joining a relationship. Relationship is based in love. We're talking about love. When you join a religion, it's based on fear and, and will I make it? And, and if, I, if I do this, it's a duty and, and not delight. It's if I don't do this, then, then God will zap me. He has a lightning bolt in heaven and he's just ready to zap me. It's very cold. It's very static. It's very hard-edged. But relationship, it's based in love. It's based in the whole concept that I am in love with God and God is in love with me and I'm considered the bride of Christ and he is considered my groom and he is coming for me and he's not going to leave me alone. He's not going to abandon me. That's what we're talking about. We talk about being in a relationship with him. That's what we're talking about when we're seeking his face. He's not a consultant. We have turned God into a consultant, I'm afraid. That's religion. Listen to this statement that Larry Osborne said. He said, now... A consultant is someone, and you tell me if this is not maybe some of you. Now, a consultant is someone whose wisdom is highly valued and listened to. I think everyone in this room would say that that Jesus' God's wisdom is highly valued and listened to. But at the end of the day, we make the final decision. That's why they're called consultants. Here's the problem. God doesn't do consulting. Never has, never will. God does God. Okay, that's who he is. When we treat him as a consultant, he simply stops showing up for the meetings. Listen, seeking the face of God is entering into an intimate relationship with God. A love relationship, not a consulting relationship. A love relationship, not this hard-edged relationship. A loving relationship where he will never abandon us, where we connect with him on a heart level, not a head level, not an actions level, a heart level. Psalm 27, verse 8, he says, You have said, seek my face. Notice the response. Where does it come from? My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. See, when Jesus called us in, in Second Chronicles, what did he call us? He says, if my people, if my people called by my name, if my people, he called us about a relationship. How are you doing in the relationship with God? How, how close are you to seeing the face of God? Psalm 32 says, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, there's not a, kid in this room and yourself included that grew up maybe with your mom that you knew what no meant just by looking in her eyes, right? Give me a nod if that's you. You knew what yes meant just by looking in her eyes. She didn't have to say a word. You were in church and you were acting up. She gave you the stink eye. You were in some restaurant and behaving. She gave you the stink eye and you knew it was get in, get in order. Listen, we have a God who didn't just give us the stink eye. He gives us the counseling eye. If you know God well enough, and He's intimate, and you're intimate, and you're connected, and He's connected, there'll be a beautiful communication that happens between you. One of the things I've heard around here lately that kind of disturbs me, kind of deep in down in my in my soul, is I've heard a number of people say, you know, I really can't, I can't discern God's voice. I don't hear Him very well. I don't know what the problem is. That's a problem for me. Because I don't know things very well. 
I'm still learning. But there's a couple of verses in Scripture that make it pretty clear. In John 10, when he talks about my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Very clear. Also, John chapter 8, verse 47. Whoever belongs to God, hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. See, there's an intimate connection and relationship and communication that happens between us and God. And you really, the, the, the voice of God should not be a mystery. And, and let me just say this. And this is the one you're going to have to evaluate yourself on. If you're that person who says, I, know, I don't know the voice of God, you need to evaluate where you're standing. Are you in a relationship or are you in religion? Because you can't get away from the voice of God. You need to pursue Him. I need to pursue Him preeminently. Intimately, yes, but preeminently as well. That means first above everything else. Nothing else is between me and God. There should be no doubting. Everyone should look at me. My bank account should say it. My boss at work should know my schedule. Everyone should know my life. My children should be able to verify it. All right? That mom, dad, they walk with God. Nothing comes between that. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 18, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions and rulers and authorities. And by the way, if you didn't know why you are here today, let me tell you why you exist and why you get to have another day to breathe and live. All things were created through him and for him. You are existing, breathing, being, because God has a plan for you and his plan involves him in that plan. So to what degree are you in on what he's in on preeminently? And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead. That in everything. He has the right to, he has the right to stake his claim on this, that he might be preeminent. See, when something is preeminent, it's the first thing in your day. It's the first thought in your, in your mind. It's the first consideration in your decision. It's the, it's the first priority in your, in your, in your, in your spending of money. It's your, it's your first checkpoint whenever you're making a decision. When he is preeminent, you're seeking the face of God. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, when he was 15 years of age, he came across... Um, a picture and understanding and seeing in a movie a guy named Reg Park. And he fell in love with Reg Park. What his his muscles, his physique, his strength. And he made this statement, and it's a pretty telling statement. From, the, from that point on, I was utterly dom, deno, dominated by Reg Park. His image was my ideal. I found out everything I could about Reg Park. I, I bought all the magazines that were published on his programs. I learned how he started training, what he ate, how he lived, how he did his workouts. I became obsessed with Reg Park. He was the image in the front of me from the time I started training. I pasted his pictures on all the walls in my bedroom. I studied every photograph of him that I could get my hands on, nothing Uh, Noting the size of his chest, his arms, his thighs, his back, his abdominals. He inspired me to work even harder when I felt my lungs burning. 
as though they were bursting. They would burst. My veins bulging with blood. I loved it. I knew then that I was growing, making one more step to becoming like Reg Park. Schwarzenegger, whether you like him politically or in a movie, you can't deny he was Mr. Universe. And you can't deny that that absolute obsession with a guy named Reg Park became the preeminent part of his life. My question to you, who do you have pictures of? Who, who are you studying? Who are you living and dying and breathing and eating and sleeping to become like, seeking the face of? I hope it's God. You need to mark this down. Seek first the kingdom of God. There's a lot of things you can seek after. Clothing, food, and that's exactly what he was telling his disciples. Don't get caught up in all that stuff. Don't get caught up in all that, all that other junk out there. Seek first the kingdom of God. First means more than anything else and before anything else, preeminently. Number three, pursue him intensely. And that, first one, and that second one of preeminently didn't get you. This one should get you. The fact is, this is not a laissez-faire, walk-in-the-park relationship with God. A lot of people have kind of turned it into that. You know, I'm here on Sunday, Mike. There's a lot of other places I could be. You know, I might serve on, with the youth on Wednesday nights, or maybe I even taught with the preschool a few moments ago. And I, Listen, I'm not making a little of any of that. That's all a part of it. But if you're, you're seeking His face can be measured in a day, one day a week. It, it can be measured in 10% of an income that you might get. And that's a good thing to tithe. But if it can be measured like that and not saying every bit of me, all that I am, that's 100% yours, God. I'm, I'm giving myself fully and completely over to you. Then we're, we don't understand what it means to see the face of God. It's intense. This is a troubling verse, Hosea chapter 5 verse 15. Listen to this. This is God speaking. I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. And in their distress, earnestly, earnestly seek me. You know what? Just picture it like this. Some of y'all in this room today, in this moment that I'm about to give you, You are hearing the voice of God. He's pointing out, you've got a lot of other things in front of me. You put some things that ought not be in front of me, in front of me. And you know what it is right now. What are you going to do with that? It's like God, God's telling you that today, but you know what? If you walk out of here and you walk out of here next week and you walk out of the next week, eventually what, what, what will God do? I'll return again to my place. I'm just going to go home. I've knocked on Mike's heart for three months now. I'm just going to go home. And I'm just going to let the circumstances that he's living in manifest themselves. Until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and do it earnestly, I'm going to walk away. We've got to be serious about this. This is something that becomes a lifestyle. Seeking his face is a lifestyle.
Listen to these verses. In fact, read them with me. Proverbs 8, verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Does that sound like religion to you? No. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently, they're going to find me. Psalms 63, verse 8. Read it with me. My soul pursues you. Your right hand upholds me. Deuteronomy 4, 29. Read it. But from there we will seek the Lord, your God, and you will find him if... Love it. All your heart and all your soul. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, Jeremiah 29, 13. You know, when we started Grace Point a lot of years ago, 14 years ago, we came back from Africa. We were only here for three months. And I started meeting with a group of men. I've been doing this since my early days in ministry. And we had about 10 men total in the church. So you can imagine shrinking it down to about three rows here. We had about 20, 25 people meeting with us in the conference room and and then we went to an elementary school, and we were just hoping one of these days we'd launch and have enough people, and we'd have a church. There were about 10 men in the church total. I invited them all to come to Dr. Bledsoe's office, who was one of our founding members. We met in downtown Rogers, and we, we met in his office, in his little lobby, and we started studying. And, and it was like, okay, here, here we're going to go. What are we going to study? What are we going to read? What are we gonna, how are we going to learn? How are we going to grow? How are we going to challenge each other? And I heard of this book right here that had, had come out. It was a pretty hot item at that time called The God Chasers. And... So I thought, you know what? If we're going to start a church, we need people who are intense about the seeking the face of God. Not laissez-faire, not lazy, not making excuses, not going to do it part-time, but we need full-time seekers of God's face. And so we started with this book right here. I picked it up this week off the shelf because I remembered that study. I remembered those men that helped launch and lay the foundation for you, many of you who are here today. And... In the very first chapter, I came across this quote. If you're not careful, we can become so interested in developing the cult of the comfortable. With our comfortable pastors and our comfortable church buildings and our comfortable circles of friends, that we forget that thousands of discontented, wounded, and dying people who pass by our comfortable church every day. I believe that quote means more to me today than it did 14 years ago. Because here we are in our comfortable building, in our comfortable seats, with our comfortable friends, in our comfortable environment. And there are people that you know and I know that don't know God. And if we were really seeking the face of God, we couldn't get them off of our mind. We couldn't go on without them. We would want to include them. We would be disturbed about the lost nations beyond beyond the, the voice in the name of God. That we would be disturbed to the core that it would move us if we were seeking the face of God. Pursue Him. I can't, I can't make you. I can't stir in you. I can't create a hunger in you. To search Him, I can't in me. I can only, only in myself can I starve myself of the junk food and ask God to give me the real substance of who He is. 
That's all I can pray for you is that there's nothing in your eyesight. There's nothing in your line of sight. There's nothing in your, that you're pursuing any more than you're pursuing God. And you are doing it. You're pursuing Him intimately. You're pursuing Him preeminently. And you're improving in, in, with this intensity about you. Lastly, you're going to have to pursue Him intentionally as well. There's going to be a lot of distractions. You're facing them right now. Some of you checked out way back when. Some of y'all are checking out in your lives and ready to check into a football game. What God has done in the past five weeks or so, six, seven weeks with me in this time of recalibration is I've taken a lot of things off my plate that were distractions, noises, 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 noises in my life. I've rearranged some things in my life, some habits, some patterns in my life. First thing I get out of the morning, get up in the morning is I check Facebook. What in the world is Facebook that I would check it first thing in the morning? Really? That somebody liked some stupid quote that I put on there would mean that much to me? I'd look at Facebook before I'd look at the face of God. I don't do things intentionally. I'll do things by accident. If I do things by accident, I guarantee you I will not accidentally seek the face of God. You've heard me say this a hundred times. But I think it's a It just starts us thinking in the right direction. So I'll say it to you again. Jot it down. We give God the first part of every day. Give God the first dime out of every dollar, first day out of every week, and the first consideration of every decision. And that's just the first of it. That's just where it starts. One of these verses describes everyone in this room. I'm going to read two Final verses, and I'm finished. One of these verses describes you, or the other verse describes you. I hope the first one describes you. Isaiah 58, verse 2. They, I hope God can say, Mike seeks me daily. Not Sundays, not every other Sunday. Daily. And delight to know my ways. I want to know it more than anything else. Second verse. May this not describe any of us. I was ready to be sought. God's speaking here. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to the nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good and following their own devices. God is ready to be sought. He is ready to be pursued. He is ready to be hungered for. He is ready to be that in your life. I've told you before about Lori and I's marriage and I've I've put myself on the altar of a lot of confessions from time to time. But when we got married, we've been, it'll be 25 years in about 60-something days that we'll be married. So give me a round of applause 
or give her a round of applause. She stuck up with me. That wasn't very wholehearted, but that's okay. 25 years. Beat it. Some of y'all have. But it hasn't been all peaches and creams, I'll tell you that. Um, first, we got married, and our honeymoon lasted literally the length of the honeymoon. And then it was like cat and dog fight. We're both firstborns. Well, no, I'm not a firstborn, but I kind of lived as a firstborn because my older brother went and lived with my dad from about 12 on. So I took on a lot of firstborn tendencies. She was a true blue firstborn. So when you get two firstborns together who knew how to manipulate their younger siblings uh, to get them to do what they, you wanted them to do, then she would try to get to manipulate me and I would try to manipulate her. And guess what? Cat and dog fight. And so we, 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 we worked through that and we made it through that year and a half, two year process. Then we leveled off. She got her friends. I got my friends. I was busy with seminary. I was busy pastoring. A lot of things going on. We just kind of lived like this. Then we go to Africa. I'm marching you through 25 years of marriage. We go to Africa about year eight or so in our marriage. And it was just like, just like when we started. Tanked. Fought like cats and dogs. What's wrong? I'm thinking, why? I thought we were way past all of this. See, she didn't have her friends. She was distracted by her friends. I was distracted by church. We didn't have a church anymore. I didn't have seminary anymore. We didn't have all the other things that distracted us that, listen, pulled our attention, pulled our eyes away from each other. And now all we had was each other. And we were either going to kill each other or make it. Well, here we are today. We made it. And you know what happened a year and a half into that journey? And she could verify this because we said it together. Wow. We became best friends. We became best friends. How did that happen in a place like that, in turmoil like that? How did we become best friends? There was something that happened in that that we learned something. How to pursue one another. Noble thought, right? You do it when you're dating. But now we're going to pursue one another. All we have is each other. All we need is each other. So we started pursuing one another. I'm not saying it's been perfect, but I can say this. It's never been what it was. It's only been better. You know what we need to do in our relationship with God? Is we need to pursue Him. We need to pursue Him. Intentionally, intensely, intimately, preeminently, we need to pursue Him with all of our being as if the only thing that matters in life is Him. And it is. That's all that matters in life. And let all the other pieces fit together. But pursue Him. Like you would pursue your, the love of your life. Because we are considered the bride of Christ if you're a child of God. Would you bow your head with me? Just like maybe Lori and I's first decade of marriage. You're married, yes. You're going through the motions, yes. But you've got a lot of other things. You've got the extracurricular activities. You've got the distractions that take you away from pursuing your mate that God's given you. Pursue them. The same it is in your spiritual life. 
You can get a lot of other noises and distractions that can pull you away from pursuing the God who loves you. The God who gave himself for you. He is waiting to be sought by you. He is ready to be found by you. In James, it talks about if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. That's a beautiful reality. Will you pursue him today? Would you set your affections on him today? Anything else, put it aside. Father God, you know our hearts. You know what's consuming us. And Lord, whatever our GPS is set on, Lord, if it's not set on you, if our affections are not set on you, then show them to us today so that you can counsel us with your eyes, so that we can hear your voice when it speaks and whispers to us. Help us to seek your face. Oh God, you love us. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Sing with us. Maybe you need to sit and just remain in the spirit of prayer. This is your time to seek the face of God.